0: Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. John 18, 1 27. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said." And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. So my my opportunity quickly to do
1: testimony time. So clearly, the email went out on Friday with a new bulletin and a new set of sermon note sheets because Friday morning I got a call that Dan Nave wasn't able to come. So, Dan, if you came expecting to see Dan and Cheryl Knave today, sorry, <laughs> you get me. And um, But I've always said for many years that God always provides. And if, if I got the message done earlier in the week, all that meant was that I needed to look out toward the end of the week because something was going to be going on that was going to take up the time that I would have been able to have the study. But that if something was going on in the earlier part of the week, that God always provided me time at the end. And it's amazing how God multiplies time sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I get 24 hours in a day, and I really only got three in that day. I'm trying to figure out, what did the day go? But sometimes you get that 24 hours in a day, and it seems like you just had, what, 50 hours? You know, like you had more than two days wrapped up into one. And that was Friday. It was really kind of cool how God just kind of, again, multiplied the study time. And so I'm very excited about what we get to go over today. Um, it's not necessarily an exciting passage um, from the perspective of Jesus is being arrested, Peter's denying Christ, and all this is going on, right? But it really is a very powerful passage that we're going to be ready to look at. And if you remember, then, we have been in the last two months looking at um, Jesus' last moments with the disciples. Okay, We've seen him... Institute the Lord's Supper. We've seen him uh, display the loving servant leadership that we're supposed to have. We've seen him make promises to the disciples, promise that he was going to go and prepare a monet a place for them in his Father's house, and that that at, when he left, he would send the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't just the Holy Spirit, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit, who was going to be with them, but he and the Father also would make their monet with them. So his presence with them on the earth as well. And then he gave them a warning. A warning that persecution, trial, tribulation, it was waiting for them. And that that time was going to come because of their allegiance to him. That that moment was going to come. But then again, in the midst of that, he's also encouraging them. But then he gives them what we spent the last two weeks looking at was this prayer. The high priestly prayer of Christ. And if you remember, as then um, in that high priestly prayer for them, the first thing he did was, was he asked the Father to glorify him? Okay, which was a big deal, and because he, he said, "Remember, glorify me with what? Glory. With the glory that I had with you before the world was." Okay, so before creation ever happened, I existed with you. I shared glory with you, and I'm asking for that glory back. That's a massive statement of deity. Okay, um, and then he prayed for, for the disciples, but he didn't just pray for his disciples. Then he prayed for, for us. He prayed for those who would believe through the, their message, through the word that they would speak. And he prayed specifically then um, for our, um, our security, that God would keep us, the Father would keep us, and he keep us through his word, um, which is truth, and keep us in his name. But then he prayed for us to um, have sanctity, that we would be set apart by his word, and then we would be um, have solidarity or unity as well, that we would be one, and in our oneness that we would reflect his oneness, okay? So all that, though, those two months that we've spent all happened in just a few hours, okay? So it was the night in which he would be betrayed, so it was the evening prior to his arrest and his crucifixion, Okay? So, that all is happening. So, even if we put that at 6 o'clock in the evening when they're getting ready to eat, okay, because that sundown is the beginning of a new day, okay? So, even if they start eating at 6 o'clock, okay, and then they have this conversation, now all of a sudden, it's in the wee hours in the morning. Are we tracking? So, this is less than 12 hours later is what we're talking about, okay? So, all that we've done, all that we've talked about, all that we've studied has now happened and just overnight, Okay, and he's in the garden. Okay, and he's praying, um, and so we um, we don't read about in John's account of the prayer. We're going to look at Luke's account and Matthew's account um, as we go a little bit today, bringing some of that in. But where we're brought immediately into this account is the that Jesus is going to be arrested. There is a confrontation that's going to happen, and as we look at this passage, where I'm where we're aiming, where we're going to end is peter's denial right because we're going to see this is a a, the culmination the consummation the the completion of jesus's um prophecy that jesus uh, that peter would deny him okay but in the beginning of it we have another moment when jesus is declaring that he is god and that it appears Three times, ego and me. So if you go back to July 4th, and we had the message on Ani Yahweh, and then you go back to July 11th, then, and we went from John chapter 8, and we talked about um, how Jesus declares himself ego and me. And so I noted, Chuck, as you read today, you left off the italicized heat, because they're not there in the original. It's ego and me. I am, I am. And so what we see is immediately when they come into the, into the garden to arrest Jesus, Jesus said, Who are you looking for, right? And uh, immediately, Jesus says, Ego, Emi. Now, he didn't say that in, in the Greek. Okay? He didn't speak the Greek. He was speaking Aramaic or Hebrew. Okay, But what we can assume, based upon their response, is that he must have said, Yahweh," Or in some manner, declared what John chose to convey in the Greek as Ego, Emi. I am, I am. Because we see then the response, the reaction of the crowd, and that is that they fall back, okay, and fall to the ground, okay. There is a an impact of what he declared and what he stated. Now I'm going to be straight, okay. Um, I can take this in a military military point of view, okay. That um, they come into the garden, they're expecting a rabble right, a a group of guys who are surrounding Jesus, right, and so they come to, and they meet this guy who seems to be very peaceful, and they say, and he says, who are you looking for, and he says, and they said, Jesus, and he says, I'm the guy, and so they fall back into a military position, you know, because now all of a sudden they're expecting a what, a fight, I don't see that playing out here though, I mean, that's, that's a possibility, as we're talking about how you interpret things, makes sense, you got to look at observations, that's a possibility, why don't I see it that way? Because of the context, the rest of the context, okay? These are guys who knew Jesus. Does it make sense? They're not, they're not you know, like, oh, you're him? Who's with them? Who's leading him? Judas. Judas, okay? So they're coming out. And so Jesus has been speaking where? The whole time he was in Jerusalem. In the temple. These are temple representatives, Does it make sense? Undoubtedly, potentially, these might be the guys who were sent out to arrest them earlier, and they didn't do it. Okay, so so from that perspective. Secondly, from their reaction, okay, the words that are used, um, and I have some of those on your sermon note sheet. We're not going to go into them. I think Matthew two eleven, Matthew four nine, about um, what the people did when they came into the presence of Jesus. Not just the the magi, but also the um, the demoniac. And how he fell to the ground. Whenever somebody came into the presence of Jesus, into the presence of Yahweh incarnate, um, that knew what they knew, and the name was used, if you would, they fell to the ground. Okay, remember we talked about the power of the name. Okay? So so I believe it's exactly what plays how it plays out here, okay? That they say Jesus says, Who you looking for? They say Jesus of Nazareth, he says, on Yahweh, or something to that effect. They fall back, just just everybody's on the ground, you know, and it's just a, a, a massive time of worship, though not true worship, if that makes sense to you, okay? It's kind of like the, the demoniac, you know, falling on the ground. He's really not worshiping God. He's recognizing what? God who God is, the, who, but yeah, the demoniac, who Jesus is, that's, yeah, so same concept, they're recognizing who he is, the authority thing that's going on here, right, and they're falling to the ground. And we're told then by Paul in Philippians chapter 2 that unto him every what? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Yahweh to the glory and praise of God. Go ahead. So is that a voluntary going to the ground? Is that a voluntary going to the ground? No, I don't think voluntary. so. I think it was involuntary. I, I think they, they it was kind of like the, you know, we, we joke about the charismatics, but anyways, but, but, but <laughs> you get what I'm saying, right? But that there was this movement and they're on the ground. Okay, And so... Um, yeah, I I do. I, I take it as an involuntary. They fell back and on the ground. Boom. Okay. And so they get back up though. Okay. And now there's a conversation going on. And so, you know, okay, what's going on guys? Who are you looking for? Looking for Jesus. I said, I am, I am. And so they go on. And so finally they say, what, this is time to arrest them. Okay. So, so I don't want to skip past that important point. Jesus very clearly in the end, all the way up to the end is declaring what? He's God. He's Yahweh. It's who he is, okay? And he's being arrested for this very thing. Does that make sense? I mean, that's why he's being arrested, is because he's declared deity, okay? So, but we get into the rest of this portion that we're going to really look at. And I know there's other things going on, but we're going to skip through some of the, the the trial and that kind of stuff, because it's not germane to what we're looking at right now. But we're the, looking at, then, the denial of Peter, because that's really what's, how this plays out, Okay? And this is going to be juxtaposed to the final message, which may be David um, in December. It may not be David. (laughs) Who knows how it plays out, right? But the very last message that we're going to be looking at from the book of John is Jesus' restoration of Peter. It's really kind of fun, you know, as you consider what's going on here, okay? So, but as we look at this denial of Peter, it didn't first come without a warning, okay? And so we go all the way back to John 13, where Jesus... In the midst of that, that um, communion, the Lord's Supper says to Peter, um, You can see it at the end. He says, Moses, surely I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you've denied me three times. Peter is, is in the midst of this, they're, they're debating who the greatest is. Make sense? And, and Peter is just, he's just out there with it, right? And so he's, he'll never deny Christ, even if I've got to die with you. And Jesus says, No, nah, that's not how it's going to play out. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so in Luke, Luke 22. Okay, um, we get more detail about how this all plays out than what we did from John. Okay, and so in Luke twenty-two, beginning of verse thirty-one, we read, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Shimon, Shimon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So stop for a moment. What's going on? Okay, again, all this stuff's going on. Peter's thinking of how big and bad he is, right? And though everybody else may fail you, I'm not going to fail you. I'm the guy. I'm here with you. We're tight. We're like this. We've always been this way. I'm one of the three, one up the mountain. You know how it is, Jesus. Come on. And Jesus says, "Uh, no, Peter, chill out. In fact, when someone says something once, it's important. When someone says something twice, they're really trying to get your what? Attention. So just this morning, um, Marcia came up and said, Bob. And then she said, Bob, okay, because she wanted my attention, right? Okay. So Jesus is getting Shimon's attention. OK, because Simon's just kind of out there. Just uh, I almost I probably didn't happen this way, but I almost pictured Jesus grabbing Peter's face. So, Look at me, Peter. I'm talking to you. OK, do you ever have to do it with somebody? OK, you feel like you want to. OK, Shimon, Shimon, I got something to say to you. Oh, say on, teacher. Well, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. Whoo, baby, I'm glad he talked to you. Because you are my rock, my fortress, my strong deliverer. You are my defender. You are my God. You are everything. And I know you told him, I'm going to kick you through the field goal post of life. Get off. Well, Peter, it really didn't happen that way, actually. Um, he asked, and I said, okay. What? I know, I'm reading between the lines. But you can read on, right? Because he says, then he says what? But I have what? I have prayed for you that you will not what? fail now that's exciting okay at least if if satan's asked and you said yes i have the assurance that you've what you prayed for me but you get the next line when you are what returned what does that mean means you're going to (laughs) fail i prayed for you that you haven't that you won't fail but you know what in light of all that you're still what you're going to fail you're gonna fall flat in your face And when you are returned, when you repent, I want you to re- encourage your brethren. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd like to think that would get my attention. I mean, I'm standing with Jesus himself. I know who he is. And he says to me, Satan has asked specifically for you. I don't think Satan's probably ever asked for me. I think he sends his minions. Doesn't need, I It mean, doesn't need to be that great of a test. But Satan himself asked for you, Peter, one-on-one. Think about that. Mano, mano. You said you could do it all, right? You're going to stand for everything. You're going to all deny me. You're not going to deny me. Guess what? It doesn't happen that way. You're no better than anybody else. You're going to fall too. But, I love the buts. But when you are returned, when you repent, when you are converted, when you come to the place where you realize the atrocity that you did bolster together your brethren. You're still the guy that I said I was choosing to be the rock of the church. You're the guy. So even before we get to John 20, in this reinstatement, Jesus is already telling him what? I know you're going to fail, but I'm not leaving and forsaking you, and I got a purpose for you. You're going to come back. Guys, you're gonna fail. I hate to tell you that. That's why I was don't put me in a pedestal. Because somewhere along the line, you put me in a pedestal, I'm gonna fail you. This week I blurted out a word. I couldn't b I I didn't the people that I was meeting with didn't necessarily catch it right off the bat, but but I was like, Whoa, how did that come out of my mouth? It'd have bothered me if I was the people I was talking to. It bothered me the rest of the night. I prayed the rest of the night. The Lord, how did that word, that word come from? Does it make sense? Okay. Life happens. And all, we're, all the pressure cooker situations do is prove that what? We're not perfect. And that's why we need Jesus. So he goes on and he says, Peter says, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll do all this. He says, I'll tell you the truth, Peter. The rooster's not going to crow until you what? Deny me. Three times, okay. So, we go on they come out to the Mount of Olives, and as they was accustomed, Jesus and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, "Pray that you may not enter into temptation." Now, again, Peter, James, and John are one of the three that he takes with him to uh, the stones throw away, and tells them to do this. Right? I'd like to think that if Jesus just said to me. Satan is asked to sift you like wheat, and I gave him permission, and you're gonna fall. And then Jesus says to me, Pray so that you don't fall to temptation. That I'd what? I'd be listening. I'd start praying. Peter, James, and John, Jesus comes back, and what's he find them doing? They find him sleeping. He finds him sleeping. Okay? He wakes them up. And again, he says to them, that's why the dot dot dots there because of all the other stuff. But as you can see where it says, he rose him up from prayer, he rose up from prayer, came to his disciples, found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, "Why do you sleep? Rise up and what? Pray, lest you fall into temptation." Twice. He's telling them. He's warning them. What's getting ready to happen? Temptation. Periasmas. A troublesome situation. Remember, we've talked about this word a lot. Okay? A periosmos, the Greek word periosmos, is a two-edged coin, two-sided coin. Okay, It's literally a troublesome situation. It depends on which side of the troublesome situation you're on. If you fail, then it was a temptation because it revealed sin in you. If, you. if you stand up to the troublesome situation, then it was a trial. James chapter 1: Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into divers kinds of temptations. Oh, it didn't say that. What's it say? trials. It's the exact same word. It's periosmos. Because then later on in verse 12, it says, blessed is the man who endures temptations. Exact same word. It's periosmos. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no periosmos, no temptation, troublesome situation, trial that's overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful in that he will not periosmos you. He will not trouble you beyond what you're able to bear. Does it make sense? So, you could translate this as temptation, or you can translate this as troublesome situation, or you can translate this as a trial. Okay? It doesn't really matter. We know the end of the story. Clearly, it was a what? Temptation, because Peter what? Fails, and it revealed sin in him. Does it make sense? An area for, for growth. Okay. So that goes on. And then we move on then into the garden, where we see the zeal of um, peter for christ so the warning from christ now we have his zeal for christ okay and because while they're in the garden then the, the, the the guys come in what we already read right and so um they go to arrest jesus and peter runs up then and he grabs the sword and, um, the, the dagger, whatever you want to call it, okay, it's a little tiny sword, and he cuts off Malchus's ear. Malchus is the, the servant of the high priest, right? And he cuts off Malchus's ear. Jesus reaches down, picks up the, 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 the part of the ear that's cut off, okay? And he brings it up and he restores Malchus's ear. Wasn't it kind of an amazing thing to, 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 to see that happen? And they still arrest him. They still arrest him. All right. Ani Yahweh, you know, I am, I am. Watch. <laughs> and they, they still arrest him. Right. We don't care what you can do. We don't care if you could speak the whole universe into existence. We're still going to kill you because you said you're God. They didn't arrest Peter. They didn't arrest Peter. We'll get there. Exactly right. He took off. Right. Only probably because I think that how can they arrest somebody for cutting off the ear when the ear is on? You said that the, he cut the ear off but the ear is on. Say again yeah and so so, but I think they were after bigger fish anyway i mean they they let the they let the little guys go right and so so his zeal for um for Christ is so there, but it's in that zeal though that we see two things here, okay first of all peter 's defense, but we 're going to see here jesus' rebuke of peter okay and it's important it's spend just just a little bit of time on this real quickly okay because there are people who misuse again when we talk about Sunday school, how you take a verse, you can take it out of context and you can build whatever theology you want on it okay and so the the whole concept of pacifism is built upon this passage, okay, and the similar passages from Matthew and such so um, regarding the sword, Jesus says to Peter. Put your sword into the sheath, shall I not drink the cup which my father has given to me? There's two things going on there. First of all, there's the sword. Secondly, there's the cup. We'll come back to the cup in a moment. Okay? So far, what about the sword? Okay? Jesus says, put the sword away. We don't, we don't, we don't want it. We don't we don't live by the sword, right? And we're going to see that verse in a moment, right? But a couple of verses later, verse 36, Jesus is arrested and he's sent to Pilate. And he says to Pilate, He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. What just happened? Peter tried to fight. His servants started a fight. Make sense? And Jesus told him what? Put the sword away. So, lend a little credence, maybe, to, to that, okay? But read what Jesus says, and we'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but probably not in this context since we've already dealt with it, Okay? Jesus says, if my kingdom was of this world, then what? The servants would fight. They would fight. In other words, the God of the Old Testament is still standing in front of them. Is Yahweh the God of the Old Testament? Is Jesus Yahweh incarnate? The God of the Old Testament is still standing in front of them. What did the God of the Old Testament have Israelites do? When they went into the promised land, quote unquote. Fight. Fight. Some things that we're, we really don't want to talk about. I mean, think about Saul. Saul was told to go wipe out the Amalekites. Not just the adults, not just the fighting men, but all the adults, all the kids, right? All the, all the animals. In fact, Saul kept the king, King Agag, alive, and he kept some of the best cattle alive. And God said, what? You're losing the kingdom for this because you disobeyed me. God delights in obedience, more than he delights in sacrifice yes okay so so remember we're, we don't have two gods. I got the holy God and I got the, the loving God. no you don't. you got a loving holy God or a holy loving God whichever way you want to play that one out and I don't really care you got one and the same God if you have the God of, of, of the of the scriptures okay and so Jesus isn't saying, we can't do that. So let's go on. Matthew 26, verses 51 and 54. This is Matthew's version of what happened. Okay, And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus, we know that's who, Peter, stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will what? Perish, or die by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Jesus is adding a little bit of detail for us here. What's happening? Scripture is what? Being fulfilled. I need to be what? Arrested. I'm going I'm to go through this and we're going to talk about the cup in a moment. This is my cup that I must drink. And so he tells him to do that, but, he, but know what he says. Again, details are important. Do you not realize that at this very moment, I could ask the Father, and he would send me 12,000 angels to come defend me? I believe that that choir of angels, which we're never told it was a choir of angels, back in Luke chapter 2, when at the birth of Jesus, it was... The heavenly host, and if you go back to the Old Testament of Yahweh Sabaoth, the, the, the Yahweh of the host, that word is for an army, an host of an army. Okay, and that surrounding Bethlehem on the night in which Jesus was born, not the night in which he was betrayed, but the night in which he was born, that surrounding Bethlehem that night was a heavenly host, a warrior, um, uh, um, heavenly warriors who were surrounding the city. The the, the the, the delta force, the, the special forces of the angels, whatever however you want to look at that. They were surrounding Bethlehem because nothing was going to touch the Savior when he came into the world. I think we see a little bit of that in Revelation when we, talk, when we read about the red dragon and how he's ready to, 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 to eat the, the child who's going to be born to the woman. It's another story we'll go there some other day okay but the point is all that's going on and there is war going on in the heavenlies at the moment okay and so jesus says look you guys if this was something that the father didn't want to have happen what would he do we'd have a heavenly host coming you know this is jesus this is the same guy who's going to come on a white horse with chesed tattooed on his thigh with a what with a heavenly host behind him. And what's going to happen? That the, the picture that I'm just describing right now, what do we commonly refer to that as? Armageddon. Armageddon. And what happens at Armageddon? All the nations that rise up together against Israel, and then ultimately against Jesus, are going to be slaughtered in the valley of Megiddo, in the Jezreel Valley. Blood up to the horse's bridle. That doesn't sound like a very, you know... In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a what? A sword, okay. So now, but as you, hopefully as you're seeing this, you're starting to understand a little bit more, okay. And that is that we're not talking about necessarily a physical kingdom in a physical war. That Jesus doesn't want us to expand the kingdom through war, through fighting, but rather that there's a spiritual war going on, and that He wants us to be involved in a spiritual battle. So again, from Luke, now. We go a little bit further into this passage for Luke twenty two, okay? And it says, And Jesus said to them, When I sent you out without money, when I sent you when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you ever lack anything? And he said, They said, Nothing. Then he said to them, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword and I looked this up in the Greek to make sure this was right. This is exactly how it says it. Okay? Maybe switching the words just a little bit, but he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and what? Buy one. Now I'm not going to be standing here and telling you that if you don't own a pistol or, or a revolver or whatever handgun that you need to go sell clothes. Grab something from your, your closet, go sell it and go buy one. But if you bring this into to the modern, that's what Jesus has told them. Go sell your extra coat and buy yourself a personal defense item. Okay? Why? Well, he goes on, because it says that he was numbered with the what? Transgressors. Okay? So there is a, a place where there is this battle that's going on, okay, between the physical and the spiritual. And so, continuing on in Luke 22, okay, we're in the garden. When he comes to be arrested, okay, um, he tells the his disciples, permit even this, okay, but then look down at the very bottom in the red, where Jesus is talking to the chief priests, captains of the temples, and the elders, and he says, have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. In other words, the point is, you've seen me. Remember what we talked earlier? These guys have seen them, right? When I was with you daily in the temple, you didn't try to seize me, but now this is your hour in the what? Authority of darkness. You're coming out under the cloak of who you really are. The spiritual war, you're walking in darkness. This is all about light versus darkness. And this is how it's playing out. There's a spiritual war going on. But Jesus emptied himself, right? And he allowed himself to be taken in order that, we're going to talk about this with the cup, in order that he might drink the cup for us, that he might be the penalty of our sins, okay? Second Corinthians chapter ten, Ephesians chapter six. We don't have time to get into them, but talk about the spiritual war and that we're not, we don't wrestle according to the flesh, but we wrestle according to the spirit. So I want to bring out this balance to you, okay? And again, not having time to develop any further, okay? And that is, there's a place in in the flesh, in the in the physical realm, where I'm called upon to to fight, okay? I was in the army. I don't regret my days in the army, okay? I had eleven retirement years, okay. Again, I don't regret it. No, I was a computer science guy. I was a programmer. I didn't have to carry the the gun with me. But if you guys that are in, you know that when you're in, ultimately, everybody's what? Infantry. A soldier. That's exactly right. And so I had to do my my, my classes for sharpshooting and all that other kind of stuff, and I had to know how to use a weapon. Does it make sense? I had to know how to, to low crawl in the mud and go underneath barbed wire and all that kind of stuff because in the end, everybody is infantry. In the end, everybody's a soldier. Huraa, right? And so, so that's that's how it plays out. So on in on the physical realm, it's okay to fight for your country. Okay, I, I'm not into pacifism. Okay, now people have got to make decisions for themselves how they play that out. But I don't think the Bible teaches that. Okay. Now, while I'm out there fighting the Iraqi, so this came very. Personal to me, okay, because I served during Desert Storm and that kind of stuff. At the end of Desert Storm, again, my work was in St. Louis. I had a three-bedroom furnished apartment, fifty yards off a stocked pond, um, and I had to go in and work from eight to five every day. It was rough, but anyways, somebody had to do the programming, right? But the point is, there are people who who, who look at you because you're you're going and you're serving during a time of what, of war. But the whole time, even before I was activated to do all that, I kept challenging people to pray for the Iraqis what they're my what enemies Enemies. but Jesus said what love your enemies and pray for those who what despitefully use you persecute you let's assume for a moment and this is not a true assumption at all but let's do the the um, Constantine we're going to march the the army through the river and make them all a Christian army right So let's assume for a moment that all the Americans over there were believers because they're from a Christianized land, and you're not from a Christianized land. Even the United Nations determines this to be a pagan nation, Okay, just so you know that. You can go up and check me out on it. Okay, So it's not a Christian nation. But let's assume for a moment everybody went over there who was a believer. The minute they shot their gun and they killed somebody who potentially was an Iraqi, who we assume were all Islamic, therefore they didn't know Jesus, what happens to them? According to your theology, they go to hell. There's a bigger battle going on than that physical battle. Do you understand? And my desire was, I understand my plight, if you would, my purpose in in serving my nation. But there's a bigger battle going on. I have a greater allegiance, and that allegiance is to Christ. And so my greatest prayer is for the salvation of even my enemies. Again, just to not draw it too further out, but that's what I've shared in the past. If somebody comes in and he's got a gun i see him I'm, I'm gonna be the guy right i'm asking you don't kill him right off the bat okay you can say with self-defense give me a chance or you guys take the chance to witness to the guy clearly he needs what he needs help even as a believer assuming we're going to say that he needs saved so i'm not even worried about his help i'm worried about his soul because he's about ready to die does it make sense okay and so um so I'm worried about his redemption and his salvation at this moment. And if God brought him in so he can be saved, praise God. But if he doesn't listen to that, he pulls the trigger and he blows me away, by all means, what? Take him out. I, I'm, I'm assuming. I've always joked. I'm not worrying about. I'm, I'm going to be ducking from from the uh, friendly bullets okay, that are in this place. I mean, I, I know there's enough defense happening in this little bitty room. Okay? So just please be careful of all the walls and the windows. We don't have to want a lot of... Anyways, so... (laughs) But you get what I'm saying? Okay? There's a place. There's a place that Jesus talks about for this defense. But ultimately remember the what? The greater purpose. In the end, to be absent from the body. I'm going to die one day anyway. To be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. And so while I'm on the earth, I have a purpose. And it's a greater purpose. And so I've got to be prayerful in, in seeking God's face as far as at what place that self-defense, quote unquote, whether it's national self-defense or individual self-defense, how it plays out. Okay? So you you work it out on your own, okay? But it's there. Secondly is regarding the cup, okay? And again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's important. I got a lot of verses, so I'm going to run through them, and we'll talk about them all in a moment, okay? So let's, we're going to read a bunch of verses. Matthew 26, verse 39, and verse 42, okay? Then Jesus went a little further off, fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. Remember? So Jesus is talking about, he's got this cup that he has to drink, okay? So then we see in Psalm 75, now I want you to read the whole psalm at some point, okay? But the pertinent verses are down from 7 to 10, okay? It says, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. For in the hand of Yahweh there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. Wait, I thought it was Jesus who was going to drink it. We'll talk about this in a moment, okay? So this is a cup for who? For the earth. But I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will also cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted." Then we go to Genesis, I believe. Yep, Genesis 49, verses 9 to 11. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who shall arouse him, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, this is a prophecy, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, that's Jesus, comes. Into him shall be obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine... In his donkey's colt, to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Hmm, what does that mean? Well, we go to Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 to 15. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb therefore they are before the throne of god and serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them and then finally matthew 26 verses 27 to 28 this is at the the lord's supper jesus says to them he says then jesus took the cup gave thanks gave it to his disciples them saying drink from all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins all right a lot of verses Whew! what does all that mean what cup was Jesus getting ready to drink? Well, on the very plain level, very, very um, first level, okay, there is the point where each of us have a cup to drink. It's our life. It's your fate. It's your destiny. Does it make sense? It's going to be the one that you drink, okay? So that's that's there. However. Jesus specifically then, I didn't share this passage, but he says to his disciples, says, so James and John, remember when, when they were asking to sit on his left hand and on his right hand, and he said, Are you able to, to drink the cup that I'm going to be drinking from? You know? And they said, What? Sure. Yeah, whatever. That's why I didn't even put it up. It's like, No, you guys don't get it. You have not got a clue what he's talking about. Okay? Because his cup was different than my cup. Even though Jesus said to be his follower, then I need to deny myself, take up my cross what? Daily, follow him. My cross is different than his cross. Are you tracking with me? So we all have a cup in a sense that we're drinking from every day. You may be sipping it. You may be gulping it. But it's your cup. I can't drink your cup. You're not going to drink my cup. And I cannot drink Jesus's cup. But this is a specific cup that he's talking about as well. And this is a cup of the judgment of sin that's going to be poured out upon the earth. The wages of sin is what? Is death. But without the shedding of what? Blood. There's no remission of sins. So, I, because of my sin, you, because of your sin, deserve to die. Physical death? You already have social death and spiritual death, and you're on your way to physical death. Okay, You say, what do you mean by all those deaths? Well, go back to the garden. The day you eat of it, you shall surely what? Die. What happened immediately when Adam ate of the forbidden fruit? Well, well, that's true, but we don't see that immediately. That's the second thing we see. What's the first thing we see? Say again? They knew good and evil. They knew that they were what? Naked and no longer were they not ashamed. They were ashamed. So what happened? Ah, they covered them. They made fig leaves for themselves. Who were they trying to protect themselves from? Themselves. Do you get it? There was a social separation. Separation in the soul. And we see it play out even further when, when God says to Adam, what is this you've done? And Adam says what? It's the woman you made me. <laughs> Automatically, I mean, there's the blame shifting going on. There was personality whatever you want to call it soulful separation soulful death there was a death in the relationship of individuals okay but then we see as steve as you said really the first thing that happened along with it is that the death in the relationship with god spiritual death because when god comes to walk in the garden they must must have been normal thing for him to walk in the garden for them to fellowship but the minute they heard his voice they did what they hid okay so there was a spiritual death and then god kicks them out of the garden so that they can't eat the tree of life, in order for them to what? Die. Death is actually an act of grace. So you're not stuck in this body of sin. Could you imagine living forever? Can I tell you that's what hell is? That's what hell is. Ultimately, that's what's going to happen to the people who don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're stuck in themselves. They're stuck with themselves. I joke a lot of times that I've come to know myself and I've come to be, I'm okay with myself. I've come to live with myself. But you know what? I really don't want to be stuck with myself for, for, for eternity. I'm looking forward to this mortal putting on immortality for this corruptible putting on incorruption. I'm looking forward to this sinful being being perfected and pure. I can't even imagine what that would look like. I can't It just didn't even cross my brain. But Jesus drank the cup for me. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin, what? Became sin in order that I might become the righteousness of God. How cool is that? Jesus drank the cup that I deserve to drink. He drank the cup that I deserve to drink. It's through faith in him that allows me not to have to drink the cup. But as we saw in Psalm 75, the reality is the cup's still there. And those who don't believe in Christ will have to what? Drink the cup. God has prepared the cup of judgment. It's already been mixed. It's already been prepared. And apart from his grace and his mercy, it's yours to drink. All the way down. But Jesus drank it on our behalf. How cold is that? I gotta move on. I'd like to spend time on it. But then we have the disavowal of Christ. Peter, I mean, what a, what a guy. I mean, you know, he was warned, and then he has this zeal for him, and then all of a sudden it's like, ah! all oh, that's by the wayside. Because now all of a sudden, this is really a war. I wonder, part, though, if Jesus was, or Peter was feeling a little spurned. Because he, he, he did come to Jesus' defense, and Jesus said what? Not now. But he goes into the the, the courtroom the, uh, the courtyard okay, and he gets there because john okay? now we' we 're not told who it is, but interpretation wise we come to the conclusion that 's probably John okay so why don 't they accost john i don 't know i can 't answer those questions those are questions I ask all the time, so don 't ask me because i don 't know okay i mean how's john how 's John get a buy on all this one i don 't know okay so we 'll leave john and go let 's go, go to Peter because First of all, there's the accusatory question. At least from John's perspective, it's given as an accusatory question. From Matthew's perspective, it's just made as an accusation that you are one of his disciples, right? And so this servant girl says to him, aren't you one of his disciples? What would you say? Now, if it's in Walmart's parking lot and there's no threat going on, you'd say what? Yeah, yeah, sure I am. But you got a big, ugly guy breathing down your neck and he says, I hate Christians. Are you one of his disciples? You go, oh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. We're so big and bold when nobody's around. Aren't you feeling pretty bold right now? Feeling pretty provado and everything. Yeah, baby. I mean, I'd like, bring on those atheists. Let me deal with one. You know, be ready to give an account for you know, an answer and all that kind of stuff. And I'm ready. I'm on it. So, why do you? Believe? Well, here is a tract. Thank you so much. It's about my church. <laughs> Sorry. Do um, you get what I am saying? So, as I go into this, I don't want to pick on Peter. It's easy to pick on Peter because of his failure, but the reality is that his failure is what so similar to to mine all the time. So, so Zach's accusation, then Jesus' answer. Uh, Jesus, Peter's answer. So, the first time. He's asked the question, aren't you one of his disciples? He says what? No, 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 I'm not. I'm not, I'm not. I call that a what? A denial, a lie, straight out lie. I mean, I mean, just play, play it out. You either are or you're not, right? I mean, have you ever talked to your kids that way? You know? I want to, yes or no? No, I'm not. That's pretty clear, pretty straight out. Wow, that's a pretty good denial. Number two, comes to him, right? And so they come and they see him again. Um, He's warming himself, verse 25, by the fire. And they said to him, you're also not one of his disciples, are you? Again, another question. But again, we read from Matthew 26. I think I have that Yeah, yeah. Matthew 26, we read, And when they had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him. So the first one's a girl. That's pretty, you're a big, bold man, right? Anyways, and he goes out to the gateway, and another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with a what? With an oath. For Matthew says the second time he denies with an oath. I do not know the man. Now we're getting a little bit what? More emphatic. First time, it's just a plain denial. Second time, we're getting a little bit more emphasis on it. Third time, we come, and it says, um, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of those whose ear Peter cut off, <laughs> has a little bit more inside information, doesn't he? He says, did I not see you in the garden? <laughs> like, I was there when my cousin's ear was cut off, dude. You know? And you're the guy who had the knife. Kind of hard to, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the rooster crowed. What is Matthew recorded as? And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Dude, we saw you. You were there. That was my double <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It wasn't me. And then he, he doesn't cuss. A lot of times we say that swearing is cussing. He doesn't cuss. He's raining down, help me with the word, um, imp- imprecations. Is that the right word? Upon himself from God. Yeah. He's, he's calling God to curse him if he's lying. Did you ever say, "God help me" if I'm if, I, if I'm not telling you the truth right now, and you know you're not telling the truth? I swear on my mama. I, yeah, yeah. I swear on my mama's grave. Don't do that. Anyways, but Jesus, But Peter, Peter is raining down curses on himself. Curses, curses on himself. If he's lying. And he's what? Lying. How many times was he lying? Three times was he lying. Could you imagine being Peter at this moment? Calling upon the name of God to curse you if you're, if you're not telling the truth. Peter. <laughs> Don't you? It would have said Shimon. It wouldn't have said Peter. <laughs> maybe it would have said Peter just because that would have really been a slam. And I'll call it. Maybe it's Cephas, you know. Cephas. Oh, you know. At that moment, you realize what? Everything Jesus said about you was true. Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. There was another guy that night who went out and wept bitterly too. Who was the other guy that went out and wept wept bitterly? Judas. Because it didn't play out like he thought it was going to play out. But in the book of Hebrews, we read, um, in Second in Corinthians, we read, and then also in, in Hebrews chapter 12, we read, um, I think it's Second Corinthians chapter 3, that there's a, a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow. And in Hebrews chapter 12, um, we read about um, Jacob and Esau, that Esau um, was sorrowful, but not unto repentance. There's a sorrow that leads to repentance and a sorrow that doesn't lead to repentance. Jacob, or sorry, Judas had a sorrow that did not lead to repentance. Peter had a sorrow that leads to repentance. And that's where we'll get to in John chapter 20 in a few weeks. Okay? But I want to ask you then, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you his disciple? How do you respond when somebody puts you on the spot? Are you willing... Now, you may be in a good spot, like I'm looking at Zach, you know, You know, you're you're in a good spot. You work for a guy who's a believer, you know? And so Joe wouldn't fire you. He'd commend you for standing up for Christ on the job, right? And so, hopefully, anyways. And so, um, but not all of you have that luxury. You're going to lose your job if you've taken it. And you you think, well, it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. Just think of how the world's played out in the last 18 months. It's moving quickly. And it's coming to a neighborhood near you. What are you going to do if you lose your job for naming name in the name of Jesus? There's going to be decisions that need to be made, and you need to make them now. What would give you away to others? How would they know? How would they know that you're even a believer? I mean, no, no one's ever asked me that. Hmm, That's kind of a thought process, isn't it? They don't even know that there's anything different between you and someone else. Okay? But what would give you away? Then, do they have to guess or would they know? Okay? Are you willing to take a stand for Christ and proclaim allegiance to his name boldly? That's where Peter was in the end struggled. The time to be prepared for it is when? Now. Do you know why Peter failed? Not because he didn't have zeal. Why did Peter ultimately fail? Brian, say it louder. He didn't prepare. How didn't he prepare, Brian? Prayer. Jesus told him what to do. He told him to pray so you don't fall enter into temptation. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Do you wonder? I'm looking in the mirror. Do you wonder why you stumble? Do you wonder why you fall? I have to put it as a scheduled appointment on my, on my Google Calendar so it goes off for me. Or actually, it's not Google Calendar. It's on my phone. So it goes off for me to remember to pray. We've got to pray, y'all. That's what Jesus told us to do. To pray. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, for the testimony of Peter. Even the failure. Lord, I think of uh, of Avram, who you called from the land of Ur and who was faithful to go, and yet (laughs) got a little bit of a famine, and he walks away from the land and goes and gives away his wife in 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 the meantime. And you have to watch over him and protect him and bring him back to the land. Lord, you are so good and gracious at letting us know, even I think of the failure of David. Lord, at letting us know that these men of faith also had weaknesses and failures. Not that we want to relish and excuse our failures because of theirs, but Lord, you're a God of grace and a God of mercy. It doesn't take you by surprise when we fall, when we fail. Lord, I pray that you would help us, though, to grow in your grace and knowledge. Lord, that we would grow in strength. We would grow in boldness, that we would be ready to take a stand for you, that we would be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the reason for the hope that's within us with meekness and fear. Lord, seeking to honor and glorify you in that, and that you would put the words in our mouth as you promised to do in that moment, and that you would receive the glory. In Christ's name, amen.